0: Hey, Jacob's Well Online, this is Joshua Skoyne, student pastor here at Jacob's Well, and this week we are continuing our series on wandering, specifically looking at the role of the Holy Spirit and how he moved during those 40 years in the wilderness. We'll see how this impacted the people of Israel back then and how it can impact our lives today. Hope you enjoy. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Joshua. I am the student pastor here at Jacob's Well. Extremely excited to be back with you guys today And everything that we just heard in that video is awesome. And I just want to take a moment as part of the staff here and just say thank you. Because so many of you in this room, uh, you saw a need. You saw people who were coming through our doors looking for a seat, looking for community, looking for a connection. But we were so jammed full, there was no space. And so you saw that need and you said, okay, I want to do something about that. And that's really where this whole building came out of. And so many other things that Live It Well is for And you chose to make an investment in the kingdom and and an investment in what God is doing here in the Chippewa Valley. And that's so cool because that took a lot of courage and sacrifice and dedication. And so I just want you to know that we are so deeply grateful. We know that we could not have done this without you. This was a unified church acting together as the family of God. And so thank you guys so much for that. Well, this week, we are continuing this series. We are looking at the 40 years in the wilderness, this time where the Israelites have been set free from slavery in Egypt, and they are on their way to this promised land, this place that God has promised is going to be amazing. This is where you're going. This is what I promised to your ancestors. But they're in the middle of a 40-year waiting period from when they left Egypt until when they finally get to go into this promised land. They're stuck in this in-between. And they're also in an interesting place where they're, they're not slaves anymore, but so much of their identity and their culture and everything they understand about themselves is wrapped up in who they were in Egypt. So they're no longer slaves, but they still don't know how to be free. So God has been building into them a new identity. We've seen this the last few weeks through the tabernacle, through the priesthood, through the Shema. Over and over again, God has been building in and teaching them, this is who you are. You are my treasured possession. You will worship me alone. You will be different than all the other nations. You know the truth. And as he taught them, All along this way, he kept demonstrating his power and his presence through these incredible signs and wonders. So today, we're going to focus in on what the Holy Spirit was up to during these 40 years in the wilderness. It's right at this moment in history that the Holy Spirit chose to reveal himself in some mind-blowing ways. Now, these stories meant absolutely everything to the people of Israel— Like they still to this day look back on those 40 years with such awe and reverence because God showed up and he revealed himself and and he, and he really established who they were going to be for the rest of their history. This means a lot to them, but they also have the potential to completely change us today. To change our perspective of who the Holy Spirit is and what he has for us and the plans and the ways that he could change us from the inside out. And so my prayer for us today is that we would uh, look at this, we look at these stories and look at how God moved with a fresh heart and a fresh perspective and say, God, teach me and help me to learn and help me to be humble and experience you in some new ways. Speaking of how he can impact us today, I was thinking about my own life and what I've experienced And I realized that I've been following Jesus for like a little over 10 years now, which to some of you in this room is a long time, and others of you are like, ah, that's nothing. But to me, 10 years feels like a pretty significant amount of time. But what I realized is in that time, I have seen things and experienced things that I can't fully explain, that I can't just naturally tie up in a nice little bow and tell you that I I fully grasp it. So, one example is, I believe one of the gifts that God has given me is a gift of teaching. And sometimes when I walk out on a stage and get an opportunity to preach, something happens. It's not every message, in fact, it's not even the majority of the messages, but every once in a while, it's like I come up here, and all of a sudden, someone else takes over. And and it's like someone else is speaking through me, and all of a sudden, there's these words that carry so much weight, and so much power, and so much impact, and then I realize that they, they're not even mine. Like when I practiced, when I created my outline, when I tried to get this idea of what this message would look like, I didn't plan these things, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit seems to take over and, 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 and says things that, all, that that's where I see life changing people. That's the kind of stuff when they say, wow, this part really, really hit me. And it's like, cool, wasn't me. That is so awesome. There's been other moments where I've been part of, of these incredible times of prayer with just a few other people, and you're praying over somebody. Maybe it's you're praying for healing or there's something for their, their future, whatever it is. And, and, and I think a lot of us can relate to this. Sometimes when you pray over somebody, you don't feel anything, right? Like you're, you're in faith, you're trusting, you're, you're, you're saying these things, and, you're, and you're, you're, you're honestly praying to God. But every once in a while, you're there in that moment, you're praying together, and there's this sense power and unity that sweeps through the whole group. And all of a sudden, the prayers become beautiful and powerful. And there's this palpable sense among everybody there that something supernatural and special is happening in that moment. And if you're in this room and you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. It's something extra than the natural, than the normal, than what we get to see day by day. This is when God breaks through our common experience. And it's in those moments that I would swear that if we were to look at a mountain and ask that thing to move, you could just see the foundations get ripped and that thing goes flying. All of a sudden, that, that picture that Jesus gives us, it, it seems so real and so true. Sometimes I get to see this in my job here working with the students. Um, we had an outreach event in December. It's called One Night. And what we do on One Night, we, we challenge our kids to go out and find people in their school, people that they know, don't know Jesus and they would be praying for them. They'd be looking for opportunities to share their faith with them. And then they would bring them to this night we call one night where they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to have an opportunity to share their faith. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, what I loved about the last one we did is we gave them a 10-minute period of time at the end of the night after they've heard the message and after they've had the worship just to, if they needed to get away and, and pray or if they needed to connect with their, their, the person they brought and have, uh, answer questions and process what they went through, we wanted to build in that time. Well the awesome thing is is you can plan all you want but sometimes the spirit does his thing in ways you wouldn't expect. And we had kids in this very room who just got off by themselves got away from all the all the people around them and just started crying and just started confessing sin and opening up to jesus we got to hear beautiful conversations happening between friends where they got to express what jesus has done in their life and how he's brought change about in them and then we planned this after party on those nights where it's super fun and it's crazy games throughout the building so the majority of the kids left but many of our students stayed in this room for the next hour continuing to cry to pray to worship it was beautiful And these moments where the Holy Spirit just seems to take over and do his thing. What I want you to know is that I know my God is real. Not just on a head level, not just on a theological mind level, but I have had opportunities to feel his power and to watch him move before my eyes. And I want you to know that God loves you and he knows you And he longs to take over every single part of your life and every part of my life. And he's not satisfied with just a little bit of us. But he wants us to know what it's like when we are completely consumed in his presence, when we fully know him and experience him. That's where real life is. So that's where we're going to head. Now, we're going to pray. And I just want to, before I do this, let's, let's just try to get our minds in a place where we can humbly say, okay, God, teach me something fresh. Teach me something new because all of us walk into this room with some preconceived ideas about who the Holy Spirit is and what our relationship is to him. So I just want us to humbly come to God and just say, God, I know that you have incredible things for me and your Holy Spirit is real and I pray that you'd help me to have a fresh understanding. So let's close our eyes and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, Lord, I thank you that you are here in this room right now. God, your presence is with us, and it always has been. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us a fresh awareness, a wonder, an awe, an excitement to be here with you, and that you would teach us something new, that you would teach us how good you are, how good your presence is, how much life there is for us to experience, if only we would trust you and let you in and let you take over God, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts, everyone in this room, including this guy up here on this stage. Lord, help us to know this in a new and real way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, especially when we talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, this is kind of an interesting thing, because I think many people have this concept where the Holy Spirit first shows up on the scene at this event called Pentecost, which is familiar to some of us. Basically, the idea is Jesus had died, he had rose, rose again, he was about to ascend into heaven, and he tells his disciples, hey, I want you guys to wait, because I'm going to send a helper. And when the helper comes, this is basically going to be the birthday of the church and you guys are going to go change the world. It's going to be amazing. And so they wait and they pray and they pray and they pray and then God shows up and the Holy Spirit fills them in miracles and we'll talk about this later. Huge day. Now, I want you to know that that day is massively important. It ushered in a whole new relationship with the Spirit of God and it fundamentally changes the church from that day on. But... The Holy Spirit has always been there. And he was always working. We see him at the very beginning. He's there at creation. In verse 2 of the Bible, it tells us that the Spirit was there hovering over the waters. He was there at creation. He was an integral part in every act of the creation. And it's just a beautiful thing. And and I want to just take a moment and call out something I think that maybe some of us are feeling. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're kind of looking at this concept called the Trinity, this idea that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if most of us were to be honest, the one that we find the most mysterious is the Holy Spirit. And I think that makes a lot of sense. For God the Father, we see all throughout the Old Testament. We can read his words. We can get a pretty good idea of who he is. Jesus is even easier. There's four books in the Bible that literally show us his day in and day out stuff. We get to really know his personality and his character. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. We can't see him. And there's all this supernatural stuff and things that break our normal categories Um, So for us to try to understand that. So I think what we really need to do is is ask this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? And I think a helpful way for us to find that out is to go back to the Hebrew and see the the Hebrew word for spirit, which is this word here, ruach. Now, to say this, you need to do that nice, like, clear out the phlegm thing, you know, ruach. So I thought it would be really nice if we could hear everybody in this room say that together. So I'm going to say it first, and then you guys do it back. Here we go. Ruach. Nice. A little bit more phlegm. Ruach. Ruach. That was beautiful. You guys did an amazing job. And I just imagine the back of the heads of the people in front of you that are just covered in a nice layer of spit. So anyway, if anybody gets sick after this, you can just be like, no, it was a great Holy Spirit message and I don't mind. It's just a good gift for you guys to share with each other. So this word is really cool. It does mean spirit. But there's a couple of translations that's used for it over and over again and those would be wind and breath. So imagine you're looking at a forest and you see those trees and they're completely still and then a rushing wind, a strong breeze comes through and you see them bend and you see them bow but you can't see what's pushing them. Like you know it's wind because in elementary school you heard, you learned about how this works but you just see it. So the wind that moves the trees is ruach. All right. Put your hand in front of your mouth. I'm going to ask everybody to do this. Now, here's the thing. If we all do it together, you won't look dumb. So everybody do this, okay? And I want you to say, hello. Hello. All right, what did you feel? You felt your breath, okay? It's this invisible energy and a power that animates things. It's a power that moves things. And the Holy Spirit is the one that animates everything, It's the one that makes them move and and it brings us to life and it sustains us. We see this in Genesis chapter two when God creates the first humans. So God takes dirt and he forms our bodies, but here's the thing, there's no life there and they're not fully human. So then God does this strange thing where it says that he breathed on them. He breathed on them and gave them the breath of life and that's what brought them alive. So the ruach of God is the breath, it's the wind, it's this life-giving energy. All of that is the spirit. We see him in every part of creation. Actually, there's a great example here of, of God creating the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath, by the ruach of his mouth. He was there in all of it. So he's in those elements, but we also know the Holy Spirit can fill and influence and empower people. And this doesn't only happen in the New Testament. We see this happen all over the Old Testament. Uh, To Moses, here's a guy who, his history, he grew up as a prince in Egypt and then he killed a guy. And he, he disappeared and he ran away from Egypt and he became a shepherd and this became his new identity and his new life and decades went by. And the last place he would ever want to go back to is Egypt until one day God intervenes in his life and he says, uh-uh, I got a plan. And he fills him and he transforms him and he, and he uses him to free his people. We see it in the guy that takes over after Moses, Joshua. We see it in the judges, the prophets, kings, all over the place where the Holy Spirit fills, influences, and empowers And all the way to the New Testament, this is important, even Jesus was filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Like, this is crazy. One person in the Trinity, the Son himself, the Son of God, needed to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We see this in his baptism, when he comes up out of the waters and the Spirit comes down on him like a dove and he is filled and he's commissioned to go out and start his ministry. We see it in all of his miracles. When he heals the sick, when he raises the dead, no matter what it is, this is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at work. And then finally, at his resurrection, we see that it's the Holy Spirit that raises him from the dead. There's a beautiful verse that tells us that that same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Not going to spoil where we're heading, but awesome, awesome stuff for us to think about. Then we get to the end of this Gospel of John. He's risen from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. And, he's, and he does this super cool thing where Jesus appoints his disciples. And he says to them, As the Father sent me, I send you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So that's one half of the imagery of the Holy Spirit that, that we see used over and over and over again. Now the other half that we see happens when Moses first comes on the scene. So we've got this idea of wind and breath. And now we're going to see fire. It starts at the burning bush. Okay, And this is how God chose to introduce himself to Moses. Again, Moses' history, he had fled uh, Egypt after this past that he didn't want to think about, he didn't want to acknowledge, and he had fully embraced this new life with this new family as a shepherd. And one day he's walking and he sees a bush on fire, which I'm sure is not that weird when you're in the desert. But then he looks at it closer. And no matter how much time goes by, The branches and the leaves, nothing is burnt up. Nothing is consumed. So he's like, well, that's weird. And he walks closer to it. And then God speaks to him through this bush. The very presence of God, the very power of the Holy Spirit right there is speaking to Moses. And he tells him, hey, take your sandals off because you are standing on holy ground. He gives him his whole mission, tells him how he's going to work through him, sends him out. And this is the very beginning of Moses' ministry, kind of started off by this image of God revealing himself in fire. And the whole rest of his ministry, the rest of his life is going to be characterized by wind and fire. That's the title of my message today, and I was telling that to somebody on staff here, and they're like, oh man, wouldn't it have been sweet if you had put on, uh, like, 21st night of September, and you came walking out with earth, wind, and fire going on, and then I was thinking, if we had gotten some pyrotechnics lining the stage, and as I went, it was just like, boom! But I uh, don't think we have the budget for that, so I didn't push my luck. Would have been cool, though. So we see God reveal himself in the burning bush, and then he's about to change this up. So the people, Moses goes, and, and, and they, all these crazy miracles happen in Egypt, and now they're being set free. They're, they're heading on their way, and God chooses to reveal himself in a new way. In Exodus 13, 21 through 22, we see this. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. A couple of super cool things. Over and over again, we see the Holy Spirit reveal himself in wind and in fire. What's a cloud? I just imagine the power of a storm cloud and and what's it made up of and this imagery of the Holy Spirit as breath, as wind and now we see it in cloud and this other imagery of the Holy Spirit revealing himself in the burning bush through fire and now through this pillar of fire at night. Now something that's really cool about this, this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night was something that would be in front of the people of Israel every day and every night for the next 40 years. It did not disappear. It would go out in front of them and it would show them exactly where they needed to go. So as they traveled, as they journeyed, they could always see in the sight where they needed to go. And when the, the cloud came down to rest, that meant, okay, all right, we're staying until it lifted and told them, all right, let's go. Another really cool thing about this. The people of Israel had just left everything they knew about who they were as a people. They had wrapped up their minds as, as we are slaves, and they had this concept of how Egypt's gods work and how their culture works, but now they've been set free. But again, they're not slaves, but they still don't know how to be free, and they're not to that place they want to go yet. So God did something really intentional where through this cloud, this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire, every day the people of Israel could look at that and know God is here. He's not imaginary. He's not a concept. He's not just some theological thing. I can see him. And imagine what that would do to you. Imagine the level of comfort you would have every single day knowing, no, he's right there, and he's the one leading us. So even though they had to wait those 40 years, God and his kindness kept showing up and and, and being there and being consistent with his people. Now, they're going on this journey. They're They're being led by this pillar, and they come to a place called Mount Sinai. This is a really important place because it's at Mount Sinai that God is going to give them the Ten Commandments. He's going to give them all of the covenant law, basically showing them what is right and what's wrong and what they need to be ritually pure. And he's going to give them all of the plans for this thing called the tabernacle, which if you remember from a couple weeks ago, is this mobile temple or like a mobile sanctuary that would go with them wherever they would go. And so, huge deal. And as they get closer and closer to this mountain, imagine this pillar of cloud that they've been following day in and day out, all of a sudden comes down and completely engulfs this mountain. The imagery here is of a thick storm cloud with thunder and lightning, and it looks like it came all the way down to just the very base of the mountain to where the flat land had started to go up. That's how, how encompassing this storm cloud was. And as the Israelites get closer, they're terrified. They are so afraid to be that close to the presence of God. And God tells Moses to warn them. And he says, tell them that they should not even come so close where they put even a foot at the base of this mountain. If they do, they're going to die. So Moses goes back and he tells the Israelites, and understandably, they're even more afraid. They want to know God, they want to get close to him, but they're so afraid. Now, this is important. What are we talking about they're going to die. I thought God was nice. What the heck? What's happening here? Really important concept. God is holy, and he is perfect, and he is glorious. But here's the problem. On our own, we are not. So when you take a holy and powerful God who cannot even be in the presence of evil because he is so much better than that and so other than that, when you take us, broken, sinful humans, and you put those two things together, one of them is going to get wiped out, and it's not him. We see this thing, if you remember when we talked about the tabernacle, that again, this mobile sanctuary, granted a great job of explaining this to us, that it was designed in such a way where there was this outer courtyard where normal people like you and I could go, and we could get kind of close to God. We could, we could sort of be near him. But then there was this tent, And to even be allowed to go inside of the tent, you had to be a priest, which meant you had to be from a specific tribe. So if you're not a Levite, sorry, you're never going to have a chance. And then not only do you have to have the right lineage, but then you have to be trained and you have to actually become a priest and become ritually pure, all of this stuff, to even enter into the very front of this thing. But the tabernacle was designed very specifically to have a back section, a back room called the Holy of Holies. And it was in this space that God chose to have his whole presence come down on and to dwell there so that the people knew that God was among them. But even the priests who were from the right lineage, who had been trained, they could not go near this space. They could not pass beyond this curtain. That's where the almighty glory and presence of God was. Super dangerous. One day a year, it was on a day of atonement, The high priest, just one guy, was allowed to cross past that curtain. When he did, he had to perform all these special rituals. He had to wear special clothing. And before he went in, the other priest tied a rope around his waist and wished him good luck. Because he was going to pass into that space to be with God, to offer sacrifice. But if he hadn't done everything just perfectly, if he was not considered pure, he was going to be dead. And that's what the rope was for. Because they couldn't walk in there and get his body. That way at least they could pull it out. Super morbid, I know. But this is kind of the picture we're looking at here. It's important for us to get this grasp that this was our identity. This is who we all were before Jesus. Jesus is holy and, and glorious. And on our own, we are sinful and broken. And this relationship has been severed. And we could not enter into the presence of God. So this is where the people of Israel are at. When they come near this mountain, here's this storm cloud. Imagine the same thing as the Holy of Holies. And they are so aware that God is wondrous and he's amazing, but we are damaged goods. We cannot cross into that. So that's kind of the situation they're at. But then God does something surprising. And he says to Moses, Moses, you can come in. He invites Moses to walk into the cloud and to climb up the mountain. And there Moses stays with God, in his presence, just being there with him. And God gives him the Ten Commandments. So Moses walks back down the mountain. He's about to give them to the people. This is great. I'm so excited. And then, if you guys remember from the beginning of this series, we talked about the whole golden calf thing that happened. Moses gets super mad. He breaks all the tablets. And then he decides to go back up the mountain, and God kind of redoes this. He goes up the mountain again, and this time he spends 40 days and 40 nights alone there in the presence of God. Now I want you to imagine what that experience could have been like. The amount of closeness and intimacy that Moses had experienced, unlike anyone else from his people, unlike anybody in history had ever experienced, here he is with God. But what I love about Moses is he does something really radical. And even though he had spent all this time right there with God, he is audacious and brave enough to say, God, you are so good, and all of this has been so good, but I want more. I want more of you. This is amazing, but I want to experience everything that I can have from you. So, God, will you show me your glory? Such a a bold and brave thing to ask of God. And I have to imagine that God was just so pleased by this request to have one of his children, someone that he had created so long and so craved to be in his presence. So God tells him, okay, all right, here's how we're going to do this. If you look at me, like if you saw all of me, you die, all right? So we're not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cover your eyes, and then I'm going to pass by you. And at the very last second, as I am passing by you, when all you could possibly see is the very back, the very hem of my garment as I go by, I'm going to lift your eyes and let you see. And Moses is like, all right, let's do it. And it happens, and he's passing by, and he lifts, and Moses is able to see, and he takes in just the tiniest sliver, the tiniest glimpse of the glory and the power and the majesty of who God is. And then we see this happen. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law, that's those Ten Commandments in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. So he had seen a fraction of God's glory and his splendor and his brightness. And after seeing that, he now reflected the glory of God off of his face. He had no clue. He walks down the mountain and as soon as Aaron sees him, and Aaron's the high priest of Israel. He's kind of a big deal. When he sees Moses, he's terrified. Because the people understand that God is holy, we are not, we cannot get too close to that power and that presence. But here's Moses shining like a beacon at us. And they are so afraid. And they tell him to put on a veil. And he has to wear this, this veil over his head like a curtain. I don't know if he could see through it, if it was like kind of transparent, or if people had to lead him by the hand. But they, they said, you have to wear this because we cannot even take this in. We cannot even look at this power I just imagine what that was like to have that presence, to be there with, with the Holy Spirit and to really experience as, as all that he had experienced, how amazing and precious. But again, this story serves to show us that that separation between us and God is so obvious here. So throughout this story, we have seen God show up in wind. At the beginning of creation, in the wind and in the breath, we see it in the cloud. Uh, at the pillar, we see it the cloud that takes over Mount Sinai. And we see the fire in the burning bush. And we see fire in this pillar and the way that God is revealing himself. But all of this imagery, the fire, the cloud, the tabernacle, the priesthood, it's all leading to Jesus. Because that fear and that separation we're talking about, that is what sin did to us. Every single one of us was made to be with God, to really know God, to experience all of his goodness. But our sin broke that relationship. And we were hopeless on our own. So someone had to come and pay the price for our sins. And that's what Jesus did. The Son of God coming down, suffering and dying, and paying for every last sin and crime that you and I have ever committed, for every sin of the entire world, and paying it in full so that we could be bought back, so that we could be made holy, so that this relationship could change. And something beautiful happened. If you remember the tabernacle, and you remember that Holy of Holies, and this curtain that they could not pass through, how dangerous it was. When Jesus had breathed his last breath on the cross... That curtain was torn from top to bottom. And that separation between God and humanity was ended. It was restored. So now every single person who puts their faith in Jesus can enter into that space, can enter in and understand and and commune with the Holy Spirit and know him and all the power that is there. Which leads us to a special day we talked about earlier called Pentecost. Jesus rises from the dead. He's commissioning his disciples and he tells them, hey, I want you to wait because I'm going to send a helper and it's going to be incredible. He's going to change everything. So they go to this place called the upper room and they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray and And they're trusting and believing that God's going to do something. He's going to show up somehow. And then when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Did you notice a couple of key words? All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit showing up. In wind and fire, and then on this day of Pentecost, when God, basically the birthday of the church, when God is setting this, his church and he's, he's empowering them and filling them with the Holy Spirit, he shows up in two ways. A powerful, violent, rushing wind blows into the room, and then tongues of fire separate and land on top of each of them. I don't know what that looked like. It had to be super cool. But here they have this representation of this Holy Spirit that they have seen and they've studied all of their lives and they've known about in the Hebrew Bible. And here they see that same Spirit coming upon them and filling them and commissioning them. And it changes everything from that day forward. This is the day that the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and now lives and dwells inside of believers. If you will put your faith in Jesus, you need to know that one of the first things that happens is that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He literally comes and dwells with you, and it's sealed. It's a beautiful picture of this closeness that we can have with God. Do you remember the veil we were talking about Moses had to wear because his face was so shiny? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we see this really cool thing that has happened now that Jesus has, has died and rose from the dead and Pentecost has happened. We see this. So all of us Christians, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Why does all this story in the 40 years in the wilderness matter to us? Guys, it's a precursor. It shows us this is what's coming, and this is who you will be, and this will be your identity. And here's the final thing I want to leave you guys with if you don't hear anything else from this message, hear this. You can enter into the Holy of Holies anytime you want. That separation has been ended, it has been destroyed. There's no longer any division between us and God. So much so that the Holy Spirit now lives in us. We are called a new temple where the Holy Spirit lives and resides. That means that all of the power that was on that mountain on Mount Sinai, all of the craziness of the pillar of cloud and the fire and and all the things these people saw, all of that presence is now available to every single follower of Jesus. If only we would open ourselves to it and long for him and welcome him and foster that relationship. If you've ever wondered, man, I don't feel like I'm seeing miracles in my life. I don't feel like I'm really seeing the presence of God. He's not hiding from you. He is not far from you. He's not mad at you. He's not holding you far off. I think most of the time, it's a reality that we have not been fostering that relationship. We have not been longing for him, spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and for us to know him in a new and fresh way. So what I'm trying to say is you can have that same kind of life-altering, crazy, powerful relationship that the early church had on the day of Pentecost and for the rest of their lives. That is available to you. You don't have to be a special, you don't have to be a pastor or a priest or to be closer, you're no closer to God or I'm no closer to God than you are. That access is there for you. So here's my challenge. Don't settle for comfortable. Don't settle for a mediocre faith because there's so much more for us if only we will embrace him and run to him. So, next steps. Maybe as you're listening to this, something is being stirred up inside of you. Maybe you have put your faith in Jesus in the past, and and maybe you're in this room and you never have, but something's clicking, and and you want to put your faith in him. You can do that right now in this space. I'm going to pray, and it's going to be a simple prayer, and you don't have to say the words along with me perfectly because it's not a magic passcode to get into heaven. But if you want to put your faith in Jesus today, it is as as simple as telling him, Lord, forgive me for for my sins. I acknowledge that you died on the cross for me. God, I want to know you. And he is faithful and he is true. He cares more about your heart than any words you could ever say. But maybe for you, the next step on your journey is you have put your faith in Jesus and you're wondering what's next. Well, maybe that's baptism. Baptism is a thing that all of us should do as a way of standing up in front of our church family and saying, hey, I believe this. I stand for this. Jesus is my God and my king and I am not afraid. There's a class on Tuesday, April 9th at 6 30, I really want to encourage you guys to consider that, and the baptisms are going to happen at, at Easter. It's going to be such an awesome weekend for us to celebrate that together as a family. Now, we're about to take communion together, and this is a really special thing that we get to do as a family. I want you to know that we don't have a whole lot of rules about communion, um, but what it is, is a symbolic memorial where we remember what Jesus did. We remember how hopeless we were on our own, but that Jesus came and died for our sins. In the bread, we remember his body that was broken for us. In the juice, we remember the blood that he shed to buy us back. We're remembering that incredible act of love and just thanking him for all that he's done. So the ushers are going to dismiss you. You can follow their lead. I want you to also know that all the stations have gluten-free bread, so everyone is just welcome to partake in that. All right, let's pray. Jesus what an incredible king you are and what incredible love you have shown and demonstrated us. Lord, when we were hopeless, when we didn't have a chance, when we didn't have a way to rescue ourselves, Lord, you came and you did everything. You died in our place. You, you sacrificed. You were the perfect sacrifice to make us holy. Lord, I pray for every person in this room who is right now putting their faith in you. And they want this. They want to know what what it is to have an end to that separation, that division. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them right now. That they would be able to put their faith in you and trust in you and know that your forgiveness is final and complete and more than enough. Lord, will you please teach all of us how to embrace the Holy Spirit in our lives? Holy Spirit, please fill us. Help us not to be satisfied with comfortable or mediocre. But God, we need more of you. Holy Spirit, I need more of you. Please, God, help us to be a church and a people that are characterized by love, are filled by the Holy Spirit, are using the gifts that you have given us to reach people with the gospel. And Lord, I thank you for this time of communion now as we celebrate together and remember all that you've done. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.